All right, Absolutely. boys. Don Wands are back for episode six after the long-awaited hiatus in which we uh, didn't feel like doing an episode for a week. I don't have a better excuse than that. <laughs> but uh, I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined by John. Yep. And Tim. What's up? All right, boys. Uh, today we're going to get into a little bit of a recap on our 2QB league. Kind of look through the picks, uh, give an idea of what, you know, if we were the ones who made picks, what our logic was. If we were not the ones who made picks, what we think about the picks. Um, you know, I'll present whoever it is from, you know, pick 1-1 one, one to pick, I guess, 3-1 or 3-10 or whatever. And kind of get your guys' thoughts and we'll go through it. You guys have anything to add on that? No. Sounds uh, good to me. Just the, um, again, the format that we play in, 2QB. Uh, we have two running backs, three receivers, two flex. So, you know, just to give people an idea of how we're valuing the guys. Yeah. And half point PPR. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as a quick, I guess, recap, a lot of these are going to be opinions, I guess, for at least the first round that I had, um, in this draft, I had picks one, two, four, and seven. So kicking it off with pick one, one, uh, I went with Joe Burrow. I feel like this one is kind of pretty self-explanatory to me. Um, when I was scouting all three of the quarterbacks, and it was one of the positions we didn't look at in terms of analytics versus everybody else. But, you know, when you look at the eye test and when you look at what Joe Burrow did both analytically and actually in the game itself, he's just, to me, miles ahead of the other two top prospects in Herbert and Tua. Um, he makes all of the throws, and I think that, you know, you can compare him to, to Kyler last year. I think that obviously as a pure pocket passer, he's going to be better. Granted, Kyler is going to be better uh, mobility-wise getting rushing yards, but Joe Burrow is not a bad athlete by any means. I'm pretty sure he had around 400 rushing yards this year um, in college in addition to all of his other accolades. So I think that this is a pretty easy slam dunk pick. Um, one thing I will say is I was talking about with a couple of people trying to think about in the past 12 to 15 years, realistically, um, you know, looking at Joe Burrow versus some of these other prospects and trying to come up with a list of the historic one ones. And quite honestly, uh, with the exception of Luck, I think coming out of college, he might be like the next best 1-1 I've seen. I know that there are, you know, are some pretty significant ones to come out. Cam Newton was, is obviously right in there too. Um, and a lot of people are also going to be talking about Kyler last year, Baker the year before. So there are some super legitimate 1-1s. But I just think total package, when you look at Burrow, he is going to be you know, really strong um, starting as early as this year. I think he has tons of weapons around him in – uh, Ross, he has AJ Green, he has Higgins, he has Boyd. He's gonna have Mixon out of the backfield, um, you know. And I think there's a good chance he at least pushes the Bengals culture to where they're actually starting to make moves and get more aggressive. So I think this is a pretty slam dunk pick. But what do you guys think about Burrow at one one? Uh, John, you can go first if you got anything. <laughs> no, I mean I think you said it all. Uh, I so. just wanted to add just a couple quick things uh you mentioned the mobility that was deceptive and uh, surprisingly that reminded me a lot of daniel jones because i didn't know a lot about him as a player when he came out and then all of a sudden you know he's scoring on the ground he's using his legs and it is just nice to have that extra dynamic option in an offense and as you said all the weapons supporting cast his head coach was a qb coach for the rams while they were going off so you know, it's it's really solid. And also, based on team composition, you had Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, who are getting there in age. So you really needed some youth at the position. I think it was a great pick. Yeah, and it, it's going to be interesting to see where some people slot him. You know, we were talking about top 10 quarterbacks. I think he's honestly already, for me, like QB 
eight, I think. I'm, I'm going to name you the quarterbacks that I still have ahead of him because I think that this is kind of an interesting thought process when you think about, you know, if this was a startup league, where would he go? Um, in my head, I think I could see him as early as the back end of the second or early into the third round, quite honestly, depending on how quickly quarterbacks are going off the board. Um, that being said, let me look at the scores from last year and kind of get an understanding for Dynasty of who I would have ahead of him. I think some of them are going to be very obvious, like Mahomes, uh, you know, Watson, Lamar are all going to be ahead of him. Dak this year with all of his weapons is going to be ahead of him, which is four. Kyler, obviously, after his strong year, we know he can do it. So, you know, him, he's in there five. Um, I think the, you know, Wentz, I would say six. I'd like Wentz a lot still. Um, But looking at some of these other guys, Baker, I think Baker might be right in there. I think I actually might already prefer Burrow a little bit to Baker, but that's just a bias of mine. So, yeah, He's kind of uh, right in there. One thing with Baker, I mean, I feel like he did it his rookie year. And then for some reason watching him last year, he just – I don't know. Like, he he has all the weapons in the world, but he looked like he was panicking and, like, wasn't setting his feet and was just, like, running around. And I don't know. Baker kind of freaked me out a little bit last year. I had to call a sophomore salt. Yeah, and I, that's it. Yeah, and that's, and that's a good – John, I'm glad you brought that up because you actually are somebody that looking at your roster moved um, Baker and you moved, you know, Locke after seeing all the weapons that they put around Locke to try to get Murray and, and go up. And I guess, you know, speaking as somebody who's a Baker fan, it kind of makes sense that if you were a little bit hesitant, why you would do that. Yeah, I mean, I just thought Murray's going to put up more points. I still like Baker. I still think he's going to be good. I think he kind of has to be. I mean, he has so many weapons, but. Well, it's not like Kyler doesn't have weapons either. So I think it was a solid move. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, and you can only start so many quarterbacks. So I traded one that was on my bench and boom. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's sound logic and I totally get where you're coming from on it. Um, I, you know, let's, let's, let me ask you guys this. I think that there are sometimes people who think, you know, depending on if you're in Superflex or 2QB, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went to a really strong position in Kansas City, and Jonathan Taylor did as well in Indianapolis. Can you guys see a situation in which if you had the 1-1, you would fade Joe Burrow, even if most people would consider him the BPA? Oh, definitely, uh, especially in a league like yeah. ours. If, let's say, anyone but you, because you had the oldest quarterbacks in the league. Like, for almost anyone else, yes, Joe Burrow would have been a very nice upgrade, but RBs are so, so scarce. We have people starting Patrick Laird. Even in the 10 QB or uh, 10 uh, team league, we had someone start Patrick Laird. We have, you know, people just really, really reaching for any sort of starting running back. So having, you know, a, an offense that suits a skill set and, and it's a high scoring offense in the league, like that's, I, I don't know, you can't ask for more for a running back in draft position. Yeah. And I mean, part of my strategy when I think back on it too is when I had picks one, two, and seven. Part of me thought, you know, maybe I go running back, running back, and then take somebody like Tua at seven. And I think the more tape I watched on Tua, the more convinced I was that the the gap between Burrow and Tua is too significant for me to kind of bank on Tua. There's just too many things that I'm not in love with. And obviously, we're going to get to when Tua went, but he slid in this draft, so it is an interesting kind of retrospective on that. Fair enough. I I, I think he's first – Let's say first six picks, I or seven, excuse me. The first seven are kind of, you know, brain-dead picks. You just look and you're like, okay, these are the best seven players. And then that's where it gets interesting. Yeah, but you, you say that, but then, I mean, I know Mike's in another league and we're all in another league where it wasn't the same seven guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, looking at pick two, we can go into it and talk about it a little bit. So pick two, I went with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire here. Um, this one, to me, feels like more of a no-brainer than it did probably a week and a half ago. So at first, I was leaning Taylor. Um, and the more I thought about it, I just think that the way that Taylor is going to fit in the scheme and his potential for fantasy points isn't as high as Clyde. Now, Taylor, for what it's worth, I do think is the best pure rusher. I do think that he is going to be a thumper and he's going to get a lot of touches. Um, you know, Clyde, I actually was listening to a thing today that was talking about, I think it was an article that said that Clyde was the best pass catching running back to come out of college since I think Christian McCaffrey was the only one that was more efficient. Wow. Um so, like, you look at kind of the upside, right, and you look at some of those top-end guys, you look at Barkley, you look at McCaffrey. These are guys that legitimately can get 60 to 80 receptions. And I don't – like, I don't want to knock Taylor's hands. I think his hands are fine. I think Taylor could catch 40 passes, 50 passes. It's definitely possible that he becomes that player. But I never think that he is going to have, like, an 800 receiving yard year or a – that like, you know, let's talk shooting for the moon, a 1,000-yard receiving year. Like, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire – does have a ceiling where in this scheme fit, like it's possible. And I crunch the numbers a lot of different ways. And I think I was telling you guys this, it's hard to envision a scenario where Taylor outscores Hilaire. Um, There's just too many points that are to be had from the receptions and receiving yards that Taylor is just not going to have that potential for. That's not even including the fact that Phil Rivers is not a stable quarterback back there. Who knows what direction they go with Easton versus something else. And, you know, Mahomes and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are tied together. So I think that a lot of people in the community are going to have a debate about Taylor versus Edwards-Hilaire. You know, who is two or who is one? And for me, I think it's an easier decision than some people are making it out to be. I love both of them. I think they're in their own tier, but that's kind of my quick take on it. No, I, I agree. And, I mean, the Colts have, um, what's it, Naheem Hines as, like, more of, like, the pass-catching specialist. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of teams will have – I mean, even look at Fournette this year. They just pumped him the ball, and he can catch the ball. But, like, a lot of teams have, like, a guy like Taylor and then a, a third down back or, like, a, more of a pass, like, catching specialist back behind them. So it's not that he can't do it. It's just he's not going to get as many opportunities as Hilaire. So I see where you're coming from. And also things change, you know. Taylor will get those carries. The talent will shine through. But year one, if you're looking to compete, it's kind of a hard move to justify someone like Taylor over Hilaire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it's also like, yeah, the Colts are probably a run-first offense, but if they start getting behind, Taylor might not be in the game as much, where Hilaire is going to be in the game the whole time. Yeah, and, and to draw a parallel on this, right, would anybody argue that Austin Eckler is a better running back than Nick Chubb? No. Probably not. Nick Chubb's a sensational running back, but here's the thing. Austin Eckler scored more points than Nick Chubb last year. Yeah. Like, at some point, it's not about the talent. It's about scoring fantasy points. Is Alvin Kamara the most talented running back in the league? No, but catching 80 receptions every single year gives you such a strong floor. Like, what are the odds that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire even busts? Let's talk about safety. What are the odds that Edwards-Hilaire isn't a safe PPR flex play, even as a rookie his first couple of weeks, because of how they're going to deploy him? Yeah, you're, no, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, with that being said, I think that the distinction here is, you know, half-point PPR, it's close. I still definitely, you know, lean Hilaire. I think non-PPR, you can make a really strong Taylor case. Full PPR, I think it's not even a competition whatsoever because 
we're just talking about 60 to 80 fantasy points, not including receiving yards that uh, Edwards Hilaire is going to have an edge on. And you got to talk about the other things that are going to balance them out. Um, you know, in terms of touchdown potential, the Chiefs scored more touchdowns than any other team in the league by a wide margin last year. So, you know, Taylor behind that line is going to be super effective, but I don't think either of them is going to get the edge as the, as the goal line option more so than the other one. I think that they're going to have a push net total touchdowns at the end of the day. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, fair enough. So that was kind of my logic with it, and I will say um, it took me some time, and I did flip-flop on it. But going into, uh, you know, pick three, pick three was Taylor, and I don't want to harp on it too much because I do think that these two are in a tier of their own. Um, and I think Taylor, for what it's worth, is gonna is definitely the next best guy, and I think that he does have an edge over Dobbins and Swift. But, um, like, again, I think for all of the reasons I've pointed out with Edwards Hilaire, that's why I'm going to lean that way personally. But that being said, do you guys have, like, a take on – one versus the other, any comments that you want to make about, you know, Hilaire or Taylor at this point? No, I mean, I just like what you said about Eckler. I mean, I have him on my team, and it's funny when you try and trade him and, like, just there's no interest because people don't see him as a pure running back, but then you look at his fantasy points and he's a top five running back. So, you're right. It's more about points and not, like, You also have to talent. look at history, too. Look at how um, Andy Reid used Brian Westbrook, you know, rushing, receiving – like, yeah, he'll finish with over, you know, 120 total yards every single game somehow. He'll just get the touches. Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because somebody shared um, basically Andy Reid running backs. And I will say this. So I'm just going to read this list really quick. It's hard to kind of explain it without a visual. Um, but starting in 99 with Deuce Staley, um, Deuce Staley was RB11, um, 15, 11, 15 for the four years that he was under Reed. Brian Westbrook, when Reed had him, was RB19, then 5 7 4 one, one, then 36. I believe he was injured in 2009, that's why. With Sean McCoy, RB338. Three, three, Jamal Charles, RB172. Spencer Ware, RB17. Kareem Hunt, RB5. Uh, RB8 the year after. So, I mean, he the floor is RB2, but he has mm-hmm. tons of RB1 finishes in his track record. And they're all sorts of players. They're not all just, you know, like a first-round stud. Kareem Hunt was not, you know, top-five draft pick or anything. He was a, he, well, yeah. he a third-rounder? Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. I mean, you look at these guys historically. Andy Reid's never taken him back that early. And it's not close either. The fact that he watched tape on Westbrook, I mean, this has been widely publicized, so it's nothing new. But, um, you know, Andy Reid said that he thought that Edwards Hilaire was better than Westbrook. So does that mean something? I mean, it should. The fact that he took him over somebody like Swift, the fact that he took him over somebody like Taylor, even though I don't think the scheme fit is his ideal, um, it's definitely worth mentioning. He's an offensive genius. (laughs) That's all I can really say about it. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, it's like, do you want to go against his word versus your own? That being said, I do think that Taylor just wasn't the same level of scheme fit for what they wanted to do. So uh, in a vacuum, if anything, it's a little bit more concerning that they leaned Edwards Hilaire versus Swift and Dobbins to me, because I think that those three have more overlapping skill sets. Whereas Taylor, I'm not shocked that he didn't take Mm -hmm. Taylor. I never had Taylor mock to uh, the Chiefs. Never saw it. Speaking of Taylor, uh, going to pick three, who, you know, Jonathan Taylor next pick. I thought this was a great move. Taylor's behind an absolutely bulldozing offensive line featuring the best guard in the league, Quentin Nelson. And 
you know, with an yeah. aging Phil Rivers, a rookie first round wide receiver, you know, they don't really have too many weapons right now. It's it's T. Y. Hilton and then they have a uh, Paris Campbell who was hurt last year. And now they have a rookie, yeah, Michael Pittman. But you know what I mean. They don't have exactly like a bunch of studs just waiting around to take the pressure off. So it's good that they're built around it. They have a solid quarterback to maybe try to keep the defense honest. Uh, I think that he won't, you know, be an absolute game breaker year one. But in the future, at least second year and forward, when they move on from Mac, I think he's going to be an absolute beast. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying – I think it's worth saying that all of these guys year one, you're going to have to temper expectations a little bit. Um, but I agree. I know that at one point um, the league mate that was looking at three was really strongly considering lamb. Um, Taylor was the right pick. There's just too much late wide receiver talent mm-hmm. to not take a running back in this spot. And I'm glad that he went this direction. It's going to be better for his team. Mm-hmm. I think. You're not glad he went that direction. I'm glad in the sense that it was the right it all, pick. It always hurts when yeah, you watch okay. someone do like uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll talk about here. that move later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I know what okay. you're talking about. <laughs> all right, going into pick four, uh, this was me again, and I took DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the, the knock with Swift at this point is that for a lot of people that had him very high in their rankings, he obviously didn't go to the best situation in Detroit. That being said, I do kind of want to talk about this a little bit because as a Ravens fan, I'm going to have like some bias towards how much I love the Ravens and their rushing attack and Dobbins. Um, but for me, I do think that Swift's path to touches is, is actually a little bit more clear. I think that both the Ravens and Lions employ are they're going to you know honestly employ RVBCs. Um, we're going to see committees for both of these guys early on. It's just very likely. I think the difference is that, to me, carry on is somebody who this regime has not seen stay healthy, and I do think that um, Swift's going to have some opportunity there. And and boiling it down a little bit, I do think that something people are forgetting is that the Ravens just do not throw to their pass-catching backs uh, a lot. It's just not a reality. Last year, Mark Ingram was targeted 29 times, and he had 26 receptions. So he was very efficient, but statistically, the numbers say that mobile quarterbacks do not dump it off because they get out of the pocket and they run themselves. So I will say one thing that is appealing to Swift, although I think that the line for the Ravens in the rushing attack is stronger, I do think in terms of PPR, Swift's dump-offs are going to be a lot stronger because carry-on's hands are not that great. I think uh, I just want to add one thing you mentioned about the uh, running back by committee. Personally, I think that belt backs are fading throughout the league. You know, you're going to start seeing less and less of them. People are going to start employing more of a running back by committee. Instead of giving one guy $8 million, they're going to give two guys $3.5 million. And it'll be very, very, you know, black and white skill sets. They'll have their thumper and they'll have their third down back. So I think just what we're seeing right now, you know, this is kind of what their situations are going to be like. There will always be a Marlon Mack hanger on, you know, Justice Hill is going to be there. It's going to be, you know, fourth round or higher pick, you know, doing a, uh, let's call it like a change of pace. Yeah. And you really are going to have to temper your expectations year one for Swift and Dobbins, I think. You know, barring an injury to one of those guys, I will say I envision probably close to maybe a 60 40 split or a 65 35 split in favor of Swift over, uh, you know, carry on. For Dobbins, you know, last year Mark Ingram was the lead back and he only had, I think, a 33% market share. Because really, Lamar is functioning as an RB2. So I think that in Baltimore, you're hoping that kind of Gus fades away, which, I, you know, Dobbins is a much superior talent. So 
you're hoping Gus fades away. You're hoping that Ingram doesn't go for another year, which he could. They they don't have to get out from under him. And then Lamar with the rushing is always going to be there. So, you know, Dobbins' efficiency will be up. I think that Swift's total touches, though, will be higher than Dobbins for the next couple of years. I think I agree with that, but I also think that Lamar is going to have to run less. I think they're they're constantly trying to find ways where Lamar can run the ball less. Whether that means doing more screens and doing more dump offs and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's got to happen. And then, I don't disagree. And then Dobbins, and then and then you don't need Justice Hill and them because oh. Dobbins can kind of do it all. You know what I mean? Yeah, Justice Hill is, is going to be in the grave with uh, our dear friends over no, in the Broncos. Tampa Bay. Uh, who was it that we were saying was in the grave? No, it was the Broncos. Was the Broncos. That's right. Yeah, it's, Justice Hill's absolutely dead, so he's not going to be a problem. I'll be 100% honest about that. I do think that it's just about projecting where things fall. So, like, looking at where the chips may lie, um, I think that you're kind of hoping that the coach speak around Lamar running less is true. Like, as a Ravens fan, I'm hoping that's true. But I think that you're basically saying, A, you need Lamar to run a little bit less and to use that screen game more. You're saying, B, we need to see Ingram go away. We're saying, C, we need Gus Edwards to kind of go away a little bit. So, I think that, you know, Dobbins is somebody who's going to work in the committee either way. But I will say that Mark Ingram last year is the only, I think, person in the past 15 years that had 250 touches and got 15 touchdowns. So Mark Ingram was like RV8 last year, and that was with a lot of things falling right. And, you know, Ingram was averaging five yards of carry. So I don't think we can just assume he's out after this year. And I think that, you know, we do have to consider that. So that is a little bit of where I'm tempering expectations. I, I agree, but he's also, what, 30? He won't be so there like, forever. So, like, he's going to be slowing down. Like, even if they pick him up again, Dobbins would get – I think Dobbins would maybe get the 60-40 shared mm-hmm. leaning towards 60 because, I mean, Ingram will be, then be 31. Like, I he's going to eventually Ingram slow Ingram has down. never been the yeah. guy on his team. He has always had another back to do a 60-40 split with him. So, yes, he's going to be old. I think the wheels are going to fall off True. you know, sooner than we think, but I don't think it's going to be as drastic or soon as we're kind of expecting. He has less tread on his tires than most 30-year-olds, is I think what Tim's going with, it's, which is definitely true. Yeah, um, yeah. I agree. The backfield percentage will sp- will shift. I think Dobbins will get more. I am just saying that, you know, Lamar is going to still be also a factor in that. So I think what I'm saying is if you're a believer in Dobbins' talent, and I think he is a great talent, um, you know, you believe in his efficiency opportunity. But I think that the Ravens system, and I'm just saying this as a fan, is a system that banks on efficiency over total amounts of touches, whereas I do think that the Lions don't rely on that. Like, the Lions aren't going to be the same level of efficiency, but, you know, their line was 11 last year from pro football focus, so they're not, like, a completely garbage line. There are going to be considerations there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, Dobbins isn't going to get as many touches, but He's also going to – I mean, he came from, like, kind of an RPO, read option mm-hmm. offense in college, and he's now just in a more efficient one with a more athletic and overall better quarterback. Um, and, like, I mean, they can't key up on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the second they yeah. do that, then Lamar takes off. So, 100%. He's, he's the least of that, you know, the defense is concerned because <laughs> of how dynamic Lamar is. Yeah. So, I think where I'm going with this long story anecdotally is this. Um, you know, I took – Swift at four because Swift to me, to my eyes was the best talent prior to the draft. And I wasn't willing to dock him because he went to the Lions Cause I see good opportunity. I think that if you're a Dobbins guy and like John, you're a good example of this. You like Dobbins more pre-draft and like, that's your guy. 
you obviously wouldn't go off of Dobbins for Swift because there's no way that the line situation is necessarily better. It's different. Um, so I think pre-draft, if you were a Swift guy, I don't think you should move off him. And I think the same is said for Dobbins in, in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, th- I mean, I think Swift is probably the safer pick, but I mean, you know how I am in fantasy. I like a guy. I like a guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, for and I some think the reason, community agrees with you yeah. for what it's worth. For some reason, I like Dobbins and I, I took him in another league. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think most people are going to say that Dobbins is the 1.03 following um, Edward Solaire and Taylor. So I think that the masses are going to say Dobbins is the guy, and I'm okay with that. I do think there's a debate here um, between, you know, those two. They're kind of in another tier after Edward Solaire and Taylor for me. Yeah, so, with that, so with that being said, that was pick five. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. But, you know, uh, Swift went at four. Dobbins went at pick five. Do you guys have any other closing thoughts on like the Swift Dobbins debate before we keep going? Let me get there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So just to recap real quick, picks one through five were Joe Burrow at one, Edwards Hilaire at two, Jonathan Taylor at three, DeAndre Swift at four, uh, J.K. Dobbins at five. So looking at pick six, um, you know, C.D. Lamb went at pick six. And I think that this is, this Mm -hmm. is to me the right pick i was between lamb and judy i definitely do think lamb is the better talent and i think that for people with mid to late firsts you're going to get a lot of value in this draft because the running backs are so good and people are so in on them at this point i i agree and also uh, what i just wanted to add about lamb when i first saw the landing spot i wasn't too sure you know there's going to be two number one receivers basically with cooper there Gallup just had an incredible season so he's not going to go away that's three mouths to feed in the wide receiver room and you start to think oh that's that's a little too much but if you had to guess how many receiving yards did randall cobb have last year yeah like 800 like 30 ish that's not bad for a third receiver being you know yeah, twenty-eight-year-old Randall Cobb. That's a good so rookie saying, year. You know, when, when you just add a first-round best receiver in the draft kind of talent, you know, they, even if for some godforsaken reason Gallup beats him to his touches, he will still have a thousand yards. Like that's good as hell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got you got to think of it as Cooper's still probably going to get the better cornerback, and and then Lamb's just going to be free to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be the same competition he played in college because he's going to be getting the – yeah, and he can't crowd the box. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just going to be – the Cowboys are going to be hard to stop. Their offense is going to be electric. And, I mean, a lot of people are hitting on this spot, but wouldn't you rather have a wide receiver and a 5,000-yard offense? I mean, look at Evans and Godwin versus, um, you know, the number one in a team that only throws for 3,800 to 4,000 yards even if he's the number one. Mm -hmm. I think it's different. Yeah, well, Allen Robinson's a good example, but he he rose against it because I think that his talent is is really strong. But I think um, my take on the Lamb versus Judy debate, going back to these landing spots with Judy in, in Denver, is I think that I actually believe that Judy might have the more likely path to being a number one because I think that Sutton could shift into the number two role, whereas like Amari's kind of always been more of the alpha. Um and I think if you're projecting it, they're both early in their career. Like, you know, Judy is going to start off as the number two. Lamb might start as the number three. But Lamb's talent is a little bit above Judy for me. So he's still the guy. Yeah, I agree with that. And But I think either way, they're both in good situations where teams can't just key up on them 
and like double team them because there's so many other weapons around them. So I think they're both right. going to be pretty successful. Like you like coming right out of the gate year one. I think they're both going to be pretty well. Yeah, Judy Judy should have a super easy transition because his routes are so nuanced. I think that he's not going to need a lot of time to get up to speed. So I could see a scenario where Judy actually has a slightly better year one. Um, and just because he has to fight less people for overall targets. That being said, Lamb might come out and just straight up dominate, and he might be the number two by week five or six, and Gallup might just be relegated to number three duties. I, I, I see that happening because I feel like the games where Gallup did really well is when teams really keyed up on Cooper, and Cooper didn't do much. Like, Cooper got covered pretty tight, and then Gallup was just – Yeah. Gallup went off, but – Let me ask you guys this. Um you know, most people will very easily say Gallup was the big loser of Lamb going there, which I agree with. Do you guys see Cooper uh, as a loser in this whole thing, or do you think it's kind of neutral for him? Like the benefit is it could take corner. Yeah, John, you're a Cowboys fan. You got it. Uh, yeah, yeah, neutral. Neutral because there were there were some games. I think it was actually it was a lot of Darius Slay when he was on the Lions, which kind of sucks now that he's on the Eagles. But he shut down Cooper pretty well. Um. And I think – I just think it's neutral because, I mean, Cooper's a, Cooper's a great freaking wide receiver. So, now that you can't double-team him, he's he's an amazing route runner. So, one of them's going to – I mean, yeah, it's it's I'm excited. It's going <laughs> to be sure a good the, offense. I'm sure the Cowboys will find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. I just like want to say do, was a thousand-yard receiver. He has been coming into his own. He's a very, very solid player. So, yeah, you know, he, he's a loser technically from this, but, you know, this isn't like they were getting um, Lamb just to replace him. They were taking the best player available, and the Cowboys now have Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy has made, you know, multiple receiver offenses work. We've seen him, Jordy Nelson, uh, James Jones, uh, Donald Driver, all in the same field at the same yeah. time, Randall Cobb. I, I think if there's, you know, an offense that can make it happen, yeah. it's going to be them. And it is ironic that they now have three really strong wide receivers with somebody like Mike McCarthy. It's uh, We're going to see, but it's a, there's a good chance that Dak's going to get his cheddar because they keep giving him weapons to make him look good. Um, it's fascinating to me that he still hasn't been signed at this point, to be honest with you. Let me yep. ask you guys this. Um, Lamb versus Judy, we all had Lamb ahead. I think that it sounds like we all have Lamb still ahead. Do you think that these two guys are very clearly in their own tier, or do you think with some of the landing spots of the other receivers that it's closer? Mm-hmm. I think it's closer. Definitely with how spots. crowded the Broncos are, with how crowded 100%. the Cowboys are. No, I mean, not, I mean, not even that. I mean, look at a guy like Michael Pittman who went to the True. Colts with – there's. I mean, there's nothing. Like, who, who's who's in his way to mm-hmm. – like, who's stopping him from getting touches? You know what I mean? Uh, what's his name? Um, T.Y.? Paris Campbell. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I'm so I think it's some other ones, but yeah, I think that basically it's interesting because the running backs all went to very strong positions, you know, net all things being equal, you can make some nitpicky things about Swift to the Lions, But um, I think that it's, it seems as though a lot of the very good receivers looking at lamb, Judy Jefferson um, all went to kind of secondary roles. And, and it's going to be interesting to see people drop them down because I think too often people get obsessed with the idea that yeah. they are owning the, the only piece of the offense. And you have to kind of take things in a holistic view. Like it's okay to have the wide receiver two on a team because sometimes it, it works out fine. Like if you weren't mad if you had Godwin or Evans last year, you know, and Drew Locke maybe can't support that, but 
Dak Prescott can. So it's not a bad thing here. And I think, again, going back to Lamb at, at pick six, really good value, especially for somebody who's comp- you know considering him at pick three. So I have nothing That's against another this thing. whatsoever. Oh, you got it. No, not at all. I mean, look at look at Tyler Boyd. Sorry, look at Tyler Boyd. I mean, he's never going to be really the number one wide receiver. I mean, he was kind of forced into the role last year, but he's kind of always the number two or the slot guy, and he's going to put up a consistent, you know, 1,000-yard year, maybe six touchdowns, 90 mm-hmm. receptions, something like that. You're not upset with that. Yeah. Agree. Uh, okay, so going into pick seven, we had Jerry Judy who went right after Lamb, and this was to me – um, I think that this was the chalk pick that, you know, Judy would go. Some people actually are going to have all five running backs before the two wide receivers. I will admit I was thinking about Judy versus Akers, but quite frankly, I've just gone back on Akers and I'm very sour on him. I think that people are going to look back and go, how did I get a guy like Lamb and Judy at pick six and seven? Okay. I think we're going to just say that this is an outrageously deep draft. And I think that that Judy, I remember I was listening actually to uh, Good Morning Football and Nate Burleson was talking about Judy, and one of the things he said is he said that his agility and his crispness of the routes, and I think we all know that he is known as the bona fide best route runner. Nate Burleson said he was the best route runner he's seen in the best 10 years, or last 10 years, uh, coming out of college. And that includes Amari Cooper. So, like, you know, Judy is the second best, and obviously he's going to have his issues. He's a little undersized. He, he's going to have to potentially face the press unless he's in the slot. Um but Judy's quick. His 40-yard dash was impressive. I think he ran in the mid-4-4s. Um, there's a lot to really like here. And the question is, do you believe Drew Locke takes the next step? But I think he that he was definitely the right pick at pick seven. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I I know I traded Drew Locke, but I do think he takes the next step. I really – I don't know. I, I like the way he plays. But um, the good thing about Judy going to a team – because at first I thought maybe he'd go to, like, the Raiders or the Jets or something – and kind of be forced into the number one role. But the good thing about him going to the Broncos is they can put it like they can mix him up outside and slot. Like he's not just immediately forced into the number one role. So it gives him another year to kind of develop and get more use to the press and like, yeah. you know, anything he might have to work on. Let me ask you guys this, because it was a little interesting to me that he did go over Lamb, because I think that the community at large thought Lamb was the number one receiver in the draft. Not even talking about Ruggs and the fact that I think Ruggs was way overpicked. Do you guys think – um, you know, that the Broncos were looking at Sutton versus Judy's skill set, and they thought that Sutton was more of the X and that Judy fit well, whereas Lamb is going to be more of an X long-term. I personally, Do you think, think that's why they went that direction? They saw a guy who was a good route runner and would get separation. And for a quarterback like Drew Locke, you know, when he was a rookie, a little inconsistent with his footwork, sometimes he'd make an incredible pass, other times just absolutely whiff. If you have a guy who's just so technical, you know exactly how he's going to run his route – you know he's going to do it correctly every single time. That's exactly who you want for your young quarterback. Yeah, I, I could see either one. Honestly, it's a good point, Tim. All right, question going off of that. If, do you think if the Broncos took Lamb, do you think the Cowboys would have taken Judy? I don't. Uh, I don't either. I don't. I, I don't think so. You know, Jerry Jones did have some weird things going on in his head between asking Lamb to wear number eighty-eight, which was bizarre. Um, one of the other things is apparently he had a good friend that that had Lamb as his last name, and that he saw this like some people have said that <laughs> Jerry Jones saw this as a sign from God himself. So, you know, I don't think he would have had that vision uh, had Judy fallen. 
That being said, I would have found it curious to see if they would have taken him. My money is they would not have. I mean, doesn't he wear a star David oh necklace? God, the logo is a star. For Judy? If that's, if, if that's not a sign <laughs> from God, I don't know. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. That would have been something to see, huh? Um, but, yeah, so I think long story short here, just summarizing, I think that they're both going to be very effective year one. I Like, I just look at some of the last receiver prospects we've seen, right? And Judy comps very similarly to Amari Cooper. In Amari Cooper's draft year, Amari Cooper in some cases was the 1-1, and he never went later than pick basically 1-3. So, like, when we're talking about depth of the draft, holy smokes, like the fact that Judy can fall to pick seven is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this will happen this, this anytime a, good, uh, a lot of draft. running backs will get taken high. Even in our first year drafting, I think it was 2018, you know, we had a lot of rece- or running backs get uh, taken in the NFL draft within the first three rounds without much competition. And when you have something like that, that's a perfect storm for a run on running backs. Like in our other league, it's a 14-teamer, only one QB, but, yeah, you know, that increases yeah. the value of running backs. We saw almost every relevant running back taken before the second round even started. It's just, you know, it's different valuations. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, we were sitting at, like, pick 20, pick 22, mm-hmm. and you're going, damn, there's actually still good value here in this draft. Whereas other drafts, you're picking up a free agent or you're just, you know, taking a shot in the dark. It's true. And, and you know, so here's a question <clears throat> for you guys. Um, you know, I think that there's clearly a tier one of running backs. There's clearly most people have a tier two. Some people might have acres in that tier two. I, I personally don't. I think that right after the first four, a lot of people in the community are going to be saying Lamb versus Judy versus acres. Um, you know, I personally have both receivers ahead of acres. But do you guys think that there, you know, is something to be said that acres should be in this conversation? Um. I don't know. I mean, for your for the way your team is right now, I think Judy was definitely the right pick. Um, I mean, it depends if if you didn't have as many running backs. Yeah. I don't know. I I still go Judy. I don't know. I think he's I, I BPI. Liked, yeah, I agree. I liked I liked Acres coming in. I don't I don't it's know how I feel about the Rams. Their O line is terrible. You know. Yeah, I don't either. We'll get there. We're gonna get to that pick. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's fair enough. So I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that pick and that spot. Okay. Um, moving along to pick eight, this is where Jalen Rager went. Um, you know, I think Rager is in a very close competition with Jefferson for the next best wide receiver. Personally, even if the gap shrunk for some people, I do have to say I still think Lamb and Judy are their own tier. That's just my personal take. Um, but Rager, you know, I really, really do like him. I think that. Quite frankly, Rager is somebody who I'm more excited about than Ruggs. I just think he's a more exciting player in terms of what he can bring to the table. Um, you know, Ruggs is a little bit of a freak athletically, but Rager is not far behind him. And I think some people kind of have this perception of Rager, and part of that is because they saw him run a slightly slower 40 than they thought. I think it's likely, I think from the pro day, Rager ran a 4 3 um, or even I think it might have been like a 4 2 so, quite honestly, even if that was hand-timed, long story short, I think Rager is really athletically gifted. And Wentz throwing him the ball oh, is yeah, not a bad thing at all. He is going to be the number one there. No, yeah, he fits no, in. Good. I just wanted to say what he competition. He fits in perfectly with the Eagles. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. You go. Just Ertz and Goddard is it. But that's just for target share. That's not for wide receivers. 
Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I, I agree that Judy and Lamb are in their own tier, but I do think that it, it shrunk a little bit because, I mean, Rager, great spot with the Eagles. Jefferson, great spot with the Vikings. You know, Jefferson was always kind of a number two, I feel like, in college, and now he's going to come right in and be the number two on the Vikings. Um, so I do think that it did shrink a little bit. But I, I, I agree I that agree. Um, Lamb and Judy, their own tier. Do you guys think sure. Rager was the pick so, here? Yeah. Do you think I mean, Rager? Yeah, this is you know when you start taking that that yep. second tier, I I would have expected Rager, Acres, or uh, Tua, any of those wouldn't have surprised me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, it, it depends on what your team need is too. Do you guys think that Rager is clearly number three, and uh, you neither of you have a, a case to be made for Jefferson in that spot? Uh. I think they're kind of interchangeable. I mean, I think I think Jefferson's definitely the number two, and I think he could take over when Thielen leaves. But I feel like Rager kind of steps right in and can make a bigger impact right away. I think Jefferson okay. might take a little longer, and I also think the Vikings are more of a run first off. I agree with John. So he yeah. might not. I, do I think as Rager's much going to be two. what uh, people oh, thought that uh, yeah. are. I don't even know how to say his name. Arca- Arcega Whiteside? No, what at Whiteside? I, he they're go- he's going Aguilar. to be what they thought uh, a Whiteside was going to be last year, a rookie wide receiver. But but they they think oh here's a very talented very guy he's going now. to be you know top yeah. like three rounds he gets drafted empty receiver room no competition he's going to step in and produce. So I think that's you know what he's going to do. Yes, I I think him and Jefferson are neck and neck. It's comparable situations, as John said. A little bit more of a run-first offense for the Vikings, but they've shown that they can produce two receivers, fantasy-wise. Okay, fair. Yeah, and and run-first kind of helps Jefferson because I feel like he's more of a deep threat. Yeah, you know, I, I feel said, like he fits right in the wide receiver scouting thing. Uh, Jefferson, opinion. you know, he, he's used to producing with however many weapons on the field that they had at LSU. I don't think one Thielen is going to stop him. Yeah, I yeah, agree with that. I agree. Great. Was was Jefferson the next pick? No, he wasn't actually. Uh, the next pick oh. is, in my opinion, the first upset of the draft. And this is when – so just for some context, one league mate um, and I had eight of ten total picks. The other league mate had pick three, six, eight, nine. So he went Rager um, – Lamb and Taylor. And then at nine, he really did need a quarterback. When you look at his quarterbacks, he had uh, Brady. I think he had Wentz. Um, He traded Jared Goff for a second, I know. So he definitely needed a quarterback in the room. And this was, in my opinion, the first stunner of the draft. And he did a lot of research on it. And uh, he felt strongly. And he went Herbert over Tua. Um, And I think we had, um, you know, a pod where we talked about Herbert sliding potentially we none of us were big herbert guys um i will say that i think that i've read more about what this person saw in herbert that i'm like going to say okay like i accept the pick maybe it's not what i would have done um but i can see what they were going for i think that you know there's a lot of potential inconsistencies with herbert but i do think when you look at his athleticism his athleticism is is head and shoulders above uh to us i'm just gonna say that right now It, it is clearly better um, his arm strength is clearly better. I think Tua is more polished. I think Tua makes better decisions. But I think that if you believe in Herbert's surrounding cast and you think he can develop, 
he has the chance to be better than Allen, and Allen is already a QB one. So like I see, it. it's not what I would have done, but I'm, I'm not gonna sorry because like, I like the guy that made it. But um, you know, we we <laughs> talked about this when we were doing our uh, last <laughs> podcast about the mock draft. Um, I went into it kind of at the end about what I don't like about Herbert, and just to briefly sum it up. The, the coaches didn't trust him. They really didn't open up the offense for him. He didn't seem like he made good decisions. And what I noticed is a lot of people, when they're trying to look at Herbert, they look at his one game. I think it was against Colorado. It was a very incredible game. You're watching this guy make you know the first-round plays that you expect someone to make. But you can't just look at one game and hope that they're going to extrapolate that and do a career. That's how you get Christian Hackenberg. How about this? I, I just want to run some numbers because it reminded me of another quarterback that had one incredible year and then his career fell off a cliff. So there was a quarterback that went 15-1 and one in the NFL, and to cap off a 15-1 and one season, he threw 480 yards and six touchdowns in the final game. They went to the NFC Championship and lost. What do you think happened to that guy the next season? Nope, that was Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn. Who was that? Sanchez <laughs> did that. I mean, he was a backup for most of fifteen and one, uh, but he blew up during the mm. games that he played. He got a fifteen million dollar a year contract, lost it to Russell Wilson rookie year. All right, let me let me play devil's advocate though. Um, you know, Herbert is a very intelligent player, and I think that he has the ability to be coached. I will say you look at somebody like Tua and like you can't ignore the fact that mm-hmm. Tua's surrounding pieces are all wide receiver ones. Like let's look at the pieces around Tua, right? He has an elite line. He has three elite going to be first round talent wide receivers. He has arguably the greatest coach in Nick Saban of all time. Oregon, there wasn't one skill position player this year drafted, I think, in the first four rounds of the NFL draft. I mean, I will just say Herbert was throwing – like, there were some absolutely abysmal drops. So I agree with you. Like, I'm not saying that Herbert was the pick. I will say, like, if you watched enough of Herbert that you believe he can be that guy, there's there's something, there's something to be excited about here. I think it was I, early, but that's my first take. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily early because he needed to take a QB there. Um, and I think Herbert – I mean, he's got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Eckler. You just dump it off to Eckler. I think he's in a great spot. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think Herbert's a safer pick. And um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it was a bad pick though. I think a lot of people think the two is more mobile than he is. I will say that people think the two is going to be like he's a quick. He's Kyler not, Murray light. He's not going to run a- like athlete that. Athlete city. <laughs> But I, I do just want to say really, really quick, yes, I, I do um, like Herbert's situation as well with the weapons and also the fact that his competition. He's not trying to beat out Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. He's trying to beat out Tyron Taylor. Yeah, he's – Or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let me, let me also say this. What was the number one knock on Mahomes coming out? Oh, he has all the talent in the world. He's inconsistent. Like, this goes back to, do you believe that the Chargers as an organization can groom him? I'm excited about Herbert if he sits half the year and they let him develop. Like, I I do think there's potential here. So just keep in mind some of the people in the past. Like, Mahomes was a project, too, so it does happen sometimes. Mahomes was, like, hitting reporters, like, in the head in, like, training camp or something. Remember? Like, he was, like, so inaccurate. He was, like, smoking the cameramen during uh, practice and shit. And everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, he's going to suck. And then he came in and looked at that. Because one was coached by Andy Reid. He's an offensive genius. The other one 
you know, we, we don't know what Anthony Lynn does yet with quarterbacks because I think this is his first head coaching position. I'm not sure how he's going to handle, you know, the, the oh, he's a great coach. I'm just saying we, we've never is. seen him develop. Anthony Lynn's not a bad coach. He's had though. Rivers, you know, an established Agreed. veteran this whole time. So I just, I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I think historically I, we've seen them develop them, though. I mean, Rivers I, was like that. Sorry, John, didn't I, cut you off. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say, I do really like Flores, the way he's going right now. So I guess that's good for Tua. Yeah, it, yeah. And of course, there is the injury, like the injury concern, too, which is like, does Tua learn how to actually make sure that he's, it, you know, to, one of the problems with Tua, aside from the way he scrambles and gets hurt, potentially, Tua does take a little bit longer with his release, and his release timing is actually part of the reason he's getting sacked and hurt. So, like, there is something to be said with, like, Tua's wrists aren't just going to go away. That being said, I do like Flores as a coach. Like, I like, there's something to be said about both of these guys. I just think that, like, Herbert going before Tua did raise some eyebrows, but, you know, I get it. No, but, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, he needed a quarterback there, and he liked Herbert better. So, like, it's it's by no means a bad pick. You Can know, people are, like, outraged by it, oh, sorry, it's, you got it's it. no means a bad pick. It's just, it's it's just, it's just, it's the same as someone taking Dobbins over Swift. Yep, agree. Yeah, and and listen, at the end of the day, like what is fantasy? It's it's a time to have fun and celebrate your guys, right? If yeah. you had a guy and Herbert's your guy, yeah, it feels like maybe a little bit icky to go against the ranks, but like I'm a Swift guy, you're a Dobbins guy. Mike's a he never liked Tua. Like in the whole process, I had talked <laughs> to him. Um, he never liked Tua, and I kind of get why he went the direction he went, and I, you, I respect you, it. You pulled it, Tim. Yeah, I know I mentioned it. I can always cut it out if I, I want. I, Nobody knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, yeah. I, I so just want to say, though, when you like your guy, you want him to play well. <laughs> and I just want to say that when you do get that, you know, against the grain pick and they hit, oh, my God, you feel like a pimp when that happens. So, you know. Yeah. The late, late blue. Devon, Devontae Parker for me, baby. Hey. Never forget. I held him for four years. years. And it never yeah. worked. If you traded him to me, he would have been better sooner. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's – I'm going to try it. So, I think we're going to try to get through 1 through 15 this pod, and we'll get through 15 through 30 on the next one. Um, going into pick 10, just there for the sake trade. of expediency here. Um, you know, <laughs> Akers went here via a trade. Um, yeah, a, a league mate <laughs> – Tim is going to hit on this. Uh, a league mate traded um, pick 10, and they traded their first next year for Leonard Fournette on the same day that Leonard Fournette lost pass-catching duties to Chris Thompson and didn't get his option signed. Um, so in, in the, <laughs> looking at foresight, maybe wait 24 hours before making a pick like that. But, yeah, I mean, my take on it is Fournette was fool's gold. Um, and Akers is interesting. Here's my thing. If there's one guy in this first round that I legitimately look back on from the 10 we've discussed and say, oh, there's a good chance they bust, it's Akers. I think the Rams line blows. Um I think that Akers is very indecisive and he's more an athlete than a running back. He doesn't understand the nuances of the position. Um, you know, he is going to be a running back on this team that's going to start. But at the same time, they took Henderson last year. And, you know, the third Malcolm Brown was a more than serviceable backup to Todd Gurley last year. So there is a little bit of competition, just like all of these guys. And I've seen arguments where some people say Akers versus Swift. That's a joke to me. The fact that you think you can draft Akers and he is as good as Swift or Akers versus Dobbins, there's just no competition. He's just very clearly the fifth best running back to me. I feel very strongly about that. I think that he is the most of a project. And when people say, well, look at his physical traits, I say, why don't you look at Christine Michael and tell me how that worked out? 
sometimes there is something to be said for your vision and your instincts. And to me, so far, Akers has lacked it in his career. And it doesn't mean he can't develop it. It means he's risky. And that's why he yeah. went pick 10. And, I mean, I mean, we talked about it going into this before the draft and everything, how he's more of a project and he's kind of new to the position. And I don't think the Rams are the team that's going to develop him. They're just going to throw him in and he's going to be a running back. And they're not going to develop him to, you know, to get that vision, to be more patient, to, you know, do whatever else he needs. I think he's just going to get tossed into the starting role. And then, things that I like you said, he could one, be a bust. Henderson barely played at all last year. Even with, you know, Todd Gurley's knee the way it was, they knew he was on his way out. And they just gave the backup duties to Malcolm Brown. Didn't even try to give it to Henderson. So he didn't exactly have a nod of confidence. Also, when Akers was, you know, a senior in college or a junior in college, his final year, uh, his team at Florida State was terrible. We, we touched on this when we were talking about the running backs. And we looked at it as a plus if he went to a team in the NFL that didn't have exactly, you know, a stud lineup because you knew that he would be able to pick and choose the holes even if the gaps weren't readily apparent. My final point, this just the story behind this yep. pick, I just wanted to briefly touch on this because it was so tremendously dumb that I can't not say anything. So this kid needed a running back incredibly badly. (laughs) He was willing to ship out one of his best receivers plus draft picks. He was a winner. He was, he was the winner, but keep in mind he he was the winner willing to trade his best (laughs) receiver and picks in order to find a running back. He turned down multiple deals for very solid players only to, during the draft, trade two first-round picks in order to get Leonard Fournette, who at the time was broken, had his fifth-round, excuse me, his fifth-year contract thing uh, denied. Then Chris Thompson got signed. And to top it off, the guy he could have picked just went to one of the most potent offenses in the whole league. So it's just the whole thing was a shit show. And I hated the story behind it, but I think Akers going at this spot is fair. (laughs) <laughs> okay all right so to go off track a little bit here so tim doesn't kill somebody um we uh i know what you said before about how you were less worried about acres going to a team with a bad line and all that stuff but and i i agree with sure. you but it's a lot different in the nfl than it is in college you know he's probably he can probably get by with that in college like he did but i mean you stick him up against it a, a superior defense, like I mean, you put him up against the Ravens, are they like, really good box? defense? Like, he's not going to get shit. You know what I mean? Here's something to consider. Well, the thing is, Acres is just not going to get a lot of help on that team. Let's talk about a couple of things. One, uh, the Rams didn't drop a lineman uh, during this whole draft, and they had probably, I believe, it was according to Pro Football Focus, the 31st ranked line of all the teams in the NFL. That's obviously atrocious. I'm not going to really go into the details there. Um, you know, you look at Acres though, and what his upside is. Let me ask you this: Why is McVeigh taking Acres over Dobbins? Dobbins was still on the board, and I understand the idea of him being maybe more successful mm-hmm. in a read pass option offense. Dobbins is, I think, the, more, the more clear talent here. So how is, how is Acres getting picked you know, by first? That's head against the We've seen crazier things. Hmm. Christian Hackenberg went in the second round in real life, dude. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> no thing. No one knows going on. Yeah, and and yeah, (laughs) 
My thing is just that it's clearly there's clearly a certain subset of running backs. Like at least when Hackenberg went, I didn't go, oh, there was still a really good quarterback on the board. I can't believe they went Hackenberg. Like there was still Dobbins had two thousand rushing yards last year, and he they took Acres over him. Like listen, Acres might be fine, and and quite honestly, I don't I don't hate the pick. It's the right pick at pick ten. But that being said, like Acres has a lot more warts than some of these other guys, and even Acres, you're not going to say he has no competition. I don't like Henderson either. I thought Henderson was a garbage pick last year, but hey, guess what? That was Henderson. Henderson was McVay's guy. So should we be asking ourselves, does McVay actually know how to scout running backs? All of the success he had with Gurley was Gurley wasn't drafted by him. He inherited Gurley. So like, I'm not convinced that McVay doesn't just like physical guys that are, you know, popping off the screen because of what they're doing on a couple of one-off runs. Henderson was a, a physical, just like Akers, I think, kind of raw guy. So I don't know. I think he's kind of reaching for the moon on it. Yeah, and we we actually really never got to see Henderson either. So you, you can't exactly just count him out yet. You know, like maybe especially with the I limited training to, camp and all this stuff Henderson, going on. Henderson down might the get the that, first yeah, shot. Everyone, at. Mike hated Henderson last year. He absolutely roasted anyone who took him over or above the second round. There were people taking him in the first round of some leagues because they thought that, you know, Gurley's <laughs> knee was actually going to give out. And Mike had quite a choice, a future. So, you know, I just want to let you guys know that he is very consistent about the hatred. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I look at a couple of guys and I'm just like, this has bus written all over it. And like, Acres could surprise me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to get too into the Henderson. Henderson went in the first round a couple of drafts, and I was honestly very thankful um, because it gave me a, a, a better talent when I picked after them. But it's interesting. You look back at some of the teams that are picking early every year, and you go, oh, that's why you're picking pick one through four every year because you're doing <laughs> things like that. I mean, in, a, in another league of mine, uh, a guy flagrantly needed a quarterback, and at pick two, he – by the way, this kid tanked in this league. He took Jerry Judy – um, and then he was on the board at pick 12 and he um, actually it was pick 10. He skipped on Herbert. So he actually walked out with the draft with no quarterbacks. And, and it's like, well, you tanked and then you didn't take a quarterback and you're still kind of up shit Creek without a paddle. So some of these guys kind of just consistently do things like this. And it's a head scratcher. Uh, again, I think acres is like an upside play. I don't have a problem with him. He's my RB five in this whole thing. Um but at the end of the day, yeah, like there are times when I look at players and I say people are getting excited about the metrics more than they should be. And I think Akers is a guy where if you watch him on film, you can see some of the mistakes he made. And just like you said, John, we were thinking, oh, well, imagine if he went to a better line. Well, guess what? He didn't. He went to a, a completely garbage <laughs> line. <laughs> so, like, you can't completely ignore it. Yeah, agreed. All right, who went 11? Uh, Jefferson. Yeah, you guys want to yeah. let's let's do this because we're coming up on fifty nine minutes. Let's just do picks one through twelve. Yeah, but um, we're for most leagues that's a traditional, you know, first uh, round. Know. A lot of teams are twelve teams. <laughs> so let's just do that. No, no, I was kidding. We could do we could do one or uh, eleven twelve. Do you want to just end at ten? We can just end at ten. <clears throat> Tag of by low and rugs. Yeah, we'll do twelve. We'll do twelve because what was it? Jefferson and then uh... Tago by low and rugs is yeah. right. Yep. So I think we talked already a lot about Tago Vailoa. Um, I think at this point, thank goodness this guy took a quarterback because he needed one. Uh, he was getting excited about the prospect of getting uh, Ben Roethlisberger on his roster. So yeah, uh, kudos to you for not making a completely moronic pick and taking Tago Vailoa, which was the <clears throat> clearly best player available at pick 11. I think we kind of compared Tago Vailoa and Herbert a lot, so I don't want to kind of drill on about it. Um, you know, I personally have Tago Vailoa higher than Herbert. 
I have him lower than Burrow still by a pretty wide margin. But I do think that Tua is going to be a very serviceable quarterback. In the so I, I think that you know, long term, this is going to be yeah. great value. When you when you take a quarterback, even in the second, first round in these kind of drafts, you know you're not getting that you know quarterback one quality until your second or third season. So it's more of an investment. I think that that this, yeah, excuse me, this was a smart move. Yeah, and this is a team that drafted a, a lineman later on in the first round, and then they took a lineman in the second too. So they are conscious, you know, consciously building around him. I think. Awesome. Yeah, agreed. I was sad. Agreed. Any problems with this at pick eleven? Do you guys think this was the guy here too? Yeah. Yeah, me, me, me too. Actually, I was pick fourteen. Though, yeah, this so is a bad pick. Reach. Yeah, fair. Okay, well, uh, then let's go into pick twelve real quick. Um, this was a bad pick. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. Um, so here, here's what I will say about this pick. I think the reason that this league mate took rugs here over Jefferson and the pick was rugs is because rugs is the home run play. And if you look at this kid's roster, uh, he consistently loves to look at how deep his bench is and how many good players he has on it. And if you're going to have a player like Diggs on your bench, well, guess what? Jefferson probably is going to be that. If you want to try to get a Tyreek Hill, then fine, go for Rugs. And if he's a bust, he's a bust. You know, I think that's why that. he went for Rugs. Personally, I, I do think Jefferson's think about a better like receiver, that. though. Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah, I mean, I think he was Nobody going for a home run. Paying attention. Mike's been saying that since since he made the pick. <laughs> Which, dude, it makes sense. He's he's got yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole other. We could have a whole other podcast on that. Yeah, I'd love to have a podcast on the moves that this league mates uh, made. But, yeah, so the pick by 12 was Ruggs. Um, incredible that Jefferson fell to me, honestly. But I do kind of see it. It's a very stacked first round. So, you know, I do get where it's coming from. I, here's what I'll say on Ruggs. Um, wasn't overly impressed with his routes. Um, his hands are very good. I will give him that. His routes are very rounded off. He doesn't have a nuance to him like somebody like Judy or Lamb even. And I think that Ruggs is somebody who thus far has gotten by on his athleticism. That being said, I like him better than mm-hmm. somebody like Ross. I think Ross's hands were significantly worse, even though Ross might've had slightly better routes. Um, we're going to see what happens. I can't believe that Ruggs was I the first wide receiver off the board. You guys, see how much they value, I can't believe you know, he was taking for somebody like these Judy, guys because I was saying, uh, you can't NFL. coach height, you can't coach speed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But when you get that guy, that's really polished, you can, you know, mold him into what you want. You know, some of these guys, if they you – know, what, what, Ruggs had like 800 yards this year? If you're that fast, you should have 100 receiving yards every single game just from running in a goddamn straight line. Like, I don't – no, really. Really. It's it's disturbing that they took him <laughs> that early hoping that, you know, no, oh, right. he'll be the guy. Because when you take a guy that high in the draft, he went, what, 11? Something like that? If, if you – if you take someone that high, you're wanting them to be Julio Jones. You want yeah, them to be like a that. giant contributor in your offense. If they're just going to be a deep threat or someone that you give the ball to on a screen and hope they can score, why not just take a really fast guy later in the draft? There's no reason to waste that kind of capital. <clears throat> but, but no. Here's my thing. Just, oh, go ahead, John. Okay, you got you it. Go. You got no, it. Mike, you go. Uh, I was I was just gonna say, I, I any other team I think would be stupid, but I kind of see it for the Raiders. I mean, they're they're 
trying to establish more of a you know run first team with Jacobs, I think. And Ruggs is a deep threat, and they're trying to keep up with the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill and all that crap. But uh, and they also took uh, Brian Edwards later on, so I think they have a pretty crowded wide receiver room with no like established number one. And I I I see why they took Ruggs. Any other team, I think, would be stupid, but I see why the Raiders took. I just my thing is Lamb prototypes is such a better number one that I just don't understand why they would go with him. Now that being said, I do think that Ruggs is actually I'm pretty sure he's the only player in, you know in the combine's history to run like a sub four two eight and then also have like a forty two inch vertical. So like, don't get me wrong, like he is super athletic and I do get it. But, like, let me tell you this list of people that have been running the 40 since the year 2009. John Ross had a 4-2-2. Marquise Goodwin had a 4-2-7. Tied uh, rugs. Jacoby Ford had a 4-2-8. J.J. Nelson had a 4-2-8. Darius Hayward Bay had a 4-3. Paris Campbell had a 4-3-1. Andy Isabella had a 4-3-1. Curtis Samuel, 4-3-1. Will Fuller, 4-3-2. So, like, look at the list of the top 10. Have any of these guys ever done anything? Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just... One of those Why guys don't take the guy that's Olympics, so, yeah. clearly more polished at that pick, or trade down. Yeah. Trade down. <laughs> yeah, he is, dude. He's, he's good person one? Hall of Fame. Oh no, I I do love yeah, him. Yeah, like, good one's, He's top, a good person like, too. So. at least player he'll, in the NFL. Make just based on his, yeah, you know, character alone. He yeah. was good in my flex one year, I think, and like he was good in your flex yeah. one year, and like maybe what, Ruggs will be good in the flex for this kid for one year. Who knows? <laughs> no, if Diggs <laughs> is on his bench, I don't think Ruggs is playing. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. Okay, guys, uh, we're coming up on you know sixty-five minutes. Um, just to recap real quickly, the picks went in order: Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins. C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, Justin Herbert, Cam Akers, Tua Tagovailoa, and Henry Ruggs at pick 12. Um, Since we only got through 12, I think that next week we're going to shoot for, um, you know, pick 13 to 30 if we can. I think we can do kind of less detailed work on that. But uh, that being said, do you guys have any, like, closing general thoughts about how you feel about the first round? Anything, you know, that you want to say before we close out? I just want uh, I'd pick 14, I just had to say so uh, Herbert was a bit of a surprise. Um, almost everything else, I, I <laughs> kind fair. of expected, you know, maybe Jefferson to go a little higher above Ruggs. But, you know, for the most part, there weren't too many big surprises. It was just uh, and Ruggs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and like we've been saying, I mean – they're all very the third round. That's or, where you get your stuff. You know, personal preference. <laughs> yeah. So. Yup. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that next week. All right, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks as always, and uh, right, we'll so, be back with you uh, in the next week. Thanks. Um, I'll all see right, you peace. Guys.